Hello and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode 40. Let's roll. The calendar just turned June and we are inching, not very close, but inching closer to uh, the 2021 NFL football season. And, you know, for Dynasty, it's definitely a a, a, a time where you can still make some deals, but you know, for most of us, it's kind of a dead time, you know, for most of people in the fantasy industry, it's kind of a time to take vacation time to turn off the lights and, and come back, a, you know, maybe in a month or two. However, many of you have uh, been made aware of the Scott fish bowl and the Scott fish bowl drafts a little bit early. And recently the Scott fish bowl invites have been being sent out. And some of you are, are, are already in the Scott fish bowl. Many of you are, I'm sure, Many of you are not, and uh, for those of you who don't know what the Scott Fish Bowl is, it's one of the largest single leagues uh, in, in in history. I mean, it, you know, uh, Scott Fish Bowl 9 was 1,200 uh, entrants. Last year, SFBX was uh, 1,440 entrants, and it's a pro-am, um, you know, and it's it's for charity, and so it's probably the most charitable fantasy football league in world history. I mean, it's got to be all put on by one of the most charitable people uh, on this planet and certainly in this fantasy football space, Mr. Scott Fish. Well, Scott, over the years, has has become a friend and asked me to give away a spot in the prestigious Scott Fish Bowl. So if you haven't been invited yet and you want a spot, Let's get you in. Now, there's a lot of listeners. I, I'm going to give it away to, you know, a listener who is a, a fan of the show. And, and uh, you know, I was thinking about a number of ways to sort of find this giveaway. So we're just going to do it like this. Check it out. Okay, guys. You got to go on Twitter. You got to create a tweet. And you got to tag at, uh, excuse me, hashtag SFB11, Scott Fishbowl 11. So, you got you to have that hashtag, hashtag SFB11, and just at me, you know, at Dino Game Theory. Um, I suppose you can, you know, at the, the, the pod too, which is at the Undrafted FF, but just at me, at Dino Game Theory. Include hashtag SFB11, and that's it. That's your ticket to get in. Now, uh, the, the winner, I'm going to ask the crew over at the Undroppables to judge these tweets and whichever one is the best, the most entertaining, the funniest, I don't know, just the best one. You can put a GIF, you can put a picture, you can put a poem. I don't give a shit what you do. This is your opportunity to, to catch our attention. And, and, uh, I'm just going to give it over to the, to the boys uh, and, 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 and the crew over at the Undroppables, and they're going to pick the one that was like the best one. I would imagine, uh, uh you know, you might want to be a little funny, I guess, but I don't really know who knows. Uh, one thing I don't want <clears throat> is, uh, you know, um, bribery of any sort, you know, uh, hey, look at I'm going to make the biggest donation to this, that or the other. We don't want that. I mean, we do want you to make a big donation when you have the opportunity, but o- only give what you can. Um, now, if you want me to see your um, your post, feel free to DM me. My DMs are open. And I- I'll tell you, I don't think it's a prerequisite, but if there were a five-star rating and review that you uh, that you attached to my DM, I'll tell you what, I, 
I don't, I'm not saying it's going to help or it's not going to help, but I will promise you one thing. I will notice that. So uh, fans of the show is who I want to give it to. So if you've ever given me a five-star rating and review, or if, uh, if you want to go out there and give me one and then include that in your DM to me, that, that would, uh, boy, I would like that. Uh, but no, this, this is all about, you know, getting someone in. So we're just going to, we're going to see how creative my listenership is and, and, and go ahead and just put out, uh, you know, a tweet. Um, I will announce the winner on next week's show. So again, in review, any tweet with SFB hashtag SFB 11 and at Dino game theory, the rest is up to your creativity. I will notice all these tweets. Can't wait to see them. Um, you don't have to tag Scott Fish, but I suppose if you want, go ahead. But he's he's pretty busy. We'll, we'll choose that and then uh, and get you in the in the in the show, man. And uh, like I said, the uh, the Scott Fish Bowl, one of the biggest charity events in our industry and in this business and in in fantasy football at large. So it's free. But once you once you're in, go ahead and make a nice donation to uh, to any charity, your charity of choice. But Fantasy Cares is certainly one that that is there for you. So uh, if you don't know where you want to do that you can contribute to the cause that 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 Scott's got and every year he uh he donates you know uh tens of thousands of dollars worth of uh toys for tots and all sorts of stuff like that it's just unbelievable what he does so it's a, it's a great cause and a, and a real fun uh event go up against Matt Berry and all the all the big dogs so but without further ado let's get to the show the guy I've got on today was someone I'd, I'd wanted on for a long period of time I I I think next year I'm going to ask him politely to come on just before the draft because there's really nobody that knows the draft and 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 prepares more for the NFL draft than my guest today. Uh, I am super stoked to have this gentleman joining me. Hold on. So super excited to have uh, this gentleman on with me today. And joining me on the program today is Thor Nystrom. And many of you know Thor, honestly, too. I mean, he's one of these great college football guys and, and draft Knicks, but he's a Fucking fantastic follow on Twitter too. So go follow Thor at at Thor KU on Twitter and uh, check him out on NBCSportsEdge.com. That's where he's at, man. He is he is absolutely filled with with knowledge. He's the man. Super funny, and you're gonna find that out right now. Joining us on Undrafted, Thor. What's going on, buddy? Not a lot, Jax. It's good to be with you. Thanks, man. I, I I'm really really um, grateful to have you on. You're 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 one of the guys. I I. You know, I shined you on the on the pre-show, um, but there's some people that I respect their work and other people that you like, and you're kind of both, I, I, you know, you're a very likable soul. So take that for what it's worth. Appreciate it. Appreciate yeah. it. So I, I've been excited to talk to you. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to chop these prospects up with you. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, the one thing I didn't get to do too much, I mean, we did a little bit, we talked NFL draft. We had a we had a pretty fun little uh, show on the Undrafted where we had, uh, you know, myself and a few of my, uh, my my partners here at the Undroppables, and we did we did a mock draft, but we did what we would do, and uh, you know, so we each picked five or six teams and kind of rolled through it that way. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so, but but this is a dynasty show, so I'm not always just talking NFL draft, but I'm a draft Nick too, man. I just I just eat that up. I love the NFL draft, love everything about it. Um, and you know, in my name, dynasty game theory, I'm, I'm more of a game theory guy with, with the NFL draft. So I'm, I, I noticed you also did a cool article, um, for NBC, uh, uh, sports edge. And it was kind of like, okay, wh- which teams came away with the most talent, 
which teams had the most draft equity and then therefore who who got the most value. So I really love that article. You guys can check it out. It's pinned on on Thor's uh, Twitter page. So go check that out. Um, it was just a good article. I really liked it because it was kind of the way I think of it too. Like, you know, one of the teams, well, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I'll ask you first. Um, because one of the things I want to talk about was kind of who you thought from a team level kind of won the draft. Um, and, and maybe you could speak to that. Who, who do you think kind of came away with the, with the best NFL draft this year? I'd say the for me, it was the Browns, the Bears, and the Broncos, I, I think were the three best drafts in the NFL. Um, you know, three, three teams that, you know, you, you talk about teams that, that had a decent amount of equity and, and sort of pick after pick, um, you know, got uh, bang for their buck in their slots. Um, you know, the, the bears were a team that, that sort of turned around, uh, the, the prospects uh, of their franchise and, and not only that, but saved the jobs of everyone in their front office. Um, and then the, the Broncos are a team that had a, a new front office and, and what a way to start for those guys. And if they were setting the table, uh, for a potential Aaron Rodgers trade, um, even better, right. Uh, j- just a great first weekend for them. Um, and then the, the Browns, I, I just thought they they knocked it out of the park, um, pick after yeah. pick after pick. It was just steal after steal after steal, and all the way through uh, to the UDFAs. Um, you know, to to Marvin Wilson, who was, I, I thought, one of the great UDFAs of the past decade. So I, I mean, those three teams just had great, 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 great draft processes. Yeah, and and let's let's go with the Bears because poor Bears fans. I mean, I'm constantly. Um, you know, uh, making fun of my, my, my bears friends, uh, who are bears fans, you know, just every year, it feels like they're just doing the wrong thing. And in this particular draft, they come away with a a player that I think you're very high on as well. And, you know, if, if you and I were running a football team and it happened to have been the New York jets, we would have taken Justin Fields at two. Is that the way that you feel? Cause I know I would have, um, would you, would you have been with me there? Yeah, I would have. Yeah. Um, yeah. Justin Fields was my, was my QB two. I, I had Trey Lance, uh, number three and I yep. had, uh, Zach Wilson, number four. Um, I, a, a lot of the, the negatives with, with Fields were, um, either overblown or they were outright fabricated. Right. Um, a, a lot of the things that you heard, they were easily proven wrong on film or, or just looking at the stats. A, a lot of the stuff was just absurd. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know what else to say. You know, it's, you know, some of the times in some of the quarterback processes you hear like the, Oh, look at the film. A lot of the stuff you heard with, with Justin Fields, you didn't even have to look at the film. You literally just had to look at the stats. Like th- there was one of the, the, these quotes from uh, Tony Pauline disseminated that said uh, it was like a, from an anonymous scout that said, Justin Fields only, only threw to his second read five times in last season. It's just an absurd stat. Um, j- just an absolute absurd stat. There was right. games in 2000 that he threw to a second read more than five times. Like, um, and, and by the way, of the, the top five quarterbacks, PFF had a stat, um, of, of, of the top five quarterbacks, um, throwing to their, their second read, um, you know, graded throws throwing to their second read, um, the worst of the top five quarterbacks. It was not Justin Fields. It was, it was Mac Jones. Um, so like a a lot of these things, they were, again, they were just overblown, exaggerated or or just outright fabricated. So I, I I thought a lot of that stuff was, was ridiculous. And it, it, not just that it didn't bake into the con, uh, you know, into his evaluation, the proper context, uh, going, um, around Justin Fields. The the other thing I'll say is 
Justin Fields would have been a top 15 pick either way. Even if he had opted out, he would have been a top 15 pick. The season probably doesn't get played were it not for Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence banging the drum in the offseason and True. doing that, you know, hashtag we want to play sort of thing. You know, while some of these other kids like Farley and some of these other, you know, kids last summer, they were immediately opting out. Justin yeah. Fields and Trevor Lawrence essentially are the reason that we had a season period. Um, and so like, you know, you want to talk about a kid that like wants to play the, that, that competes and com- competed in very, very hard, uh, circumstances this season that that's, that's what Justin Fields, uh, did, you know, all throughout the season. And then the season that he played in, you know, speaking to the circumstance, the, the Clemson game, uh, in yeah. the playoff was one of the most impressive, uh, quarterback performances I've seen of the last decade, uh, right before halftime, he, he gets his midsection obliterated by James Skalski. James Skalski gets ejected for a targeting call. And then uh, Justin Fields, the rest of the game just rains fire from the sky. He throws for almost 400 yards and either had five or six touchdowns against a Brett Venables defense. I mean, you just don't do that, particularly when you have a broken rib. Um, That kid, I have even mentioned that he's, he was one of the great dual threat quarterback recruits of all time who exceeded expectations in college. Um, almost any other uh, draft class, he would have been the number one overall pick. And I, I don't think anyone would have had any debate about it whatsoever. So it's just a weird circumstance for him, you know, all around. Yeah. And I think it was probably that Northwestern game. I mean, it actually put a little bit of doubt in my mind, not as much as it felt like it reverberated through the, you know, the community. And I, I don't understand it. I don't understand why the Jets never had a, a, a doubt or a question or a consideration of Lance Fields. I just Because they're the Jets? Yeah, I know. I know, but it's just terrible. And it's just awful. And we're going to get to more situations that that, that sort of implicate uh, the NFL as, as just a regressive sort of, you know, organization. And, um, and, and, and what we see, like, like, Evan Silva and Matt Kelly have talked about it a couple times, how there's this bubble, you know, how there's this sort of cocoon and they're just sort of allowed to, to make these awful decisions. And it may be that Zach Wilson turns out. That's not what you and I are saying. Like, Oh, it's bad because Zach Wilson is bad. It's like, well, it's because they're just, they, I don't understand how they, they couldn't have had that conversation. It just didn't make any sense to me, but yeah, for the bears, it really works out. I mean, they did have to give up uh, a, a draft pick, in order to, you know, next year's first in order to get there, which is actually a little bit risky because they're not guaranteed to be a good team, even with, you know, a good rookie quarterback. Uh, so that could be, that could be a, a, a high pick again next year. But, but I thought that, you know, we'll get to the giants here in a minute, but I thought they did great. They, they go out and get Tevin Jenkins too. So, I mean, they're investing in protecting Justin Fields. The team was actually pretty good. It's not a bad roster all the way through. Um, you could probably speak to that a little bit better than I can, knowing you know the lines and, and and the depth chart a bit better than me. But you know that that defense was pretty solid. Certainly should be a middle of the road defense, if not better than that. Um, their offensive line again not terrible, although not very good. They you know Tevin Jenkins hopefully should help solidify that. And you know going forward, they've got some skill positions. They've got running backs. If, if, if fields can pan out, they actually can be a winning organization pretty quickly um, and, and potentially save that head coaching staff in front office. Um, they'll probably slow play fields just to keep their contracts going. If, if he doesn't play all year, they'll be like, yep, we're going to do the Mahomes thing. I know it was a tough year this year, but next year, you know, um, but, you know, uh, what do you think about all that? 
I think that would be a mistake. Of I, course. You know, I, I've seen Andy Dalton. You know, we saw Andy Dalton last year. Uh, Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Andy Dalton is. Right I, I put him on the field right yeah. away. Me um, too. You mentioned the fact that Chicago doesn't have their first round pick next year. There's no impetus for Chicago to be bad next season. You know, I mean, because right. you, you have no incentive there. So you got to play the, the best player. Um, especially cause pace is on, um, you know, the, those guys are on short leashes or whatever. So yes. I, you know, you got to p- play the best player. And, and f- I, I think that they're going to see that Justin Fields is, is the better player that the, the mobility thing that the value you're going to get out of the discrepancies in mobility between those two players is ludicrously ridiculous. Yeah. And so Andy Dalton, how much better he would have to be as a passer right now to justify that. Um, he's not that much better of a passer than Justin. He he's probably not better as a passer. Period. Um, but you know the the difference it, 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 that doesn't exist. Yeah, I I don't know how you even replace Mitch Trubisky with Andy Dalton. I mean, it, for my money, Mitch at three million was a better investment than Absolutely. Andy Dalton at at ten million. It doesn't make any sense. I'm with you I mean, a thousand percent. I mean, but you know. <laughs> The Bears have been where they are because of decisions like this. But you and I both love this decision to go get Fields. So, yes. you know, hopefully uh, they can coach their way out of a wet paper bag and get, you know, um, you know, because that's my other fear now is like, you know, they certainly weren't smart enough to coach around Mitch Trubisky's strengths and limitations. I wonder if they'll be able to accentuate uh, Justin Fields' strengths. I, he, he's got a lot of them, so they, they've got a better chance of doing it, I guess. For sure. Yep. For sure. Yeah. And, then, and I, I, yeah, I, I do think they'll be able to. Yeah. I mean, cause yeah, I mean, Trubisky's weaknesses were far, far more pronounced and yes. the, the strengths were, were not as, you know, yeah. his high end was, was not as, as, you know, uh, luminous, I, I yes. guess would be the word. Yes. Yeah, there, there were there were there were fewer outs with Mitch Trubisky. We'll, we'll exactly. grant them that. The other team that you mentioned that I absolutely agree with is Cleveland. Man, just absolutely crushing it. You know, I like Greg Newsom a lot. You know, I'm not a not a huge defensive draft guru or anything like that. But in the in the in the limited amount of research and film work that I did, this kid is like the real deal. I mean, we talked about uh, that Northwestern game, and Greg Newsom was a big part of why um, Justin Fields struggled because they can cover. And he's a great cover corner. They go out and get JOK in the second round, which I thought was a great pick. Anthony Schwartz, probably a better real-life pick than fantasy pick. But again, a, a good pick. Lid lifter, fastest kid in the draft. Hey, nothing wrong with having speed on the outside to open up things for, I don't know, maybe Nick Chubb or something like that. So really good pick there. Uh, and then it just kind of went from there. But right at the top, they, they, they had the luxury of picking whomever they thought was the best available player because they didn't have any – glaring weaknesses or holes so I think that they they were BPA the whole way and and they did a great job and and that team uh is if not the favorite right there in the in the NFC North I mean AFC North yeah yeah you said it I mean I I don't think they they thought that there was any chance that one of the top four cornerbacks was going to be there you know right when I do all the mock drafts like before the draft in a lot of them I had uh the Cleveland Browns taking Christian Barmore with their pick because the one of the four cornerbacks never made it to him, but it just so happened that the fourth one got there, you know, in, in, in Newsom. So I, I'm guessing the Browns were just rejoicing. And then you mentioned Schwartz. And, and by the way, I, I ranked that kid 91st overall and he went in the 91st slot. So I, I, I love it when that happens. So yeah. shout out to that. Um, but it, he was such a good pick for this team because they obviously have the two other 
receivers. Th- this guy compliments them very, very well. I, uh, you know, in every single draft class, you see the the term world class speed like 10, 12, 12, 15, 20 times. Anthony Schwartz is probably the only guy in the last five classes that it actually applies to. Uh, you put him on a, a track with like the 20 fastest guys in, in the world. He is not going to embarrass himself. Uh, just absolutely stupid speed. And for a team like the Browns, you mentioned it like the, the how he's going to help in terms of the spacing of, uh, of the field. You have to respect Anthony Schwartz. Um, he's not a fully formed receiver yet for sure. For sure um, absolutely. For sure. But I, I think there are contextual reasons to explain um, a, a couple different things with why he isn't further along and also why he didn't uh, statistically put up more numbers at Auburn, uh, mainly two words, Bo Nix. Bo Nix. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was I was ready. I was yeah, ready his his quarterback at Auburn stunk, um, and like in in terms of accuracy was just terrible. Left all sorts of yards on, on the field. You, you'll see, you know, if if you watch Auburn games or if you go back and 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 watch, you know, some of their games, whatever. <laughs> Um, you'll see all sorts of occurrences where Anthony Schwartz just cooks a guy and he's downfield and he's, he's waving the, the left arm and he's looking over his shoulder um, and either, either Nick just misses it and, and goes to someone else or else he just sails a ball or, or whatever um, just left a whole bunch of yards on the field. Now there's also, you know, occurrences where Schwartz misplays a ball or, or whatever. I, I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that he is a fully formed guy. And, and the other thing is he doesn't run a full route tree for sure. So, right. I, you know, I'm, both of those things i'm not saying that he's fully formed um but again on on the other end of it there was all sorts of of times where he gave the offense an opportunity for explosive plays where the the ball either just wasn't even thrown or else it was thrown in that direction and it didn't even come close to being on the money so i i really like that thing um you know they could run a race of the entire nfl and that kid might win tomorrow Um, right just just absolutely stupid speed well, now, you know, I think you're absolutely right. Now we go to some of the the losers of the draft. And, um, you know, it, it's going to – who do you think lost the draft? Because I've got a couple that, that I think are a little bit uh, different than, than some of those. I also have one more winner, but it's tied to one of the losers. So I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on who, who you thought didn't really come out of the draft with, with a win. Um, I'll, I'll toss – several names actually I, I didn't like the saints draft i didn't like the raiders draft didn't like the packers draft um outside of getting super lucky with lawrence you know just well you know sort of tanking their way into lawrence Yo, I, I didn't mine. like what the jaguars did yep um i didn't really like what washington did didn't like what the bucks did um yeah so that's just a couple so for me, a lot of times, I think it comes down to like, you know, you, especially for a guy like you, you rank 500 players. So you're, you're intimately familiar with many of the players, but it, you would even say that, you know, if you look at the hit rate of a seventh round pick of a sixth round pick of even a fifth or a fourth round pick, it's very low. So sometimes guys like you will rank or, or rate a draft based on even the third, fourth, fifth round players. And even you know that they're not likely to hit. So a lot of times we really should be almost, you know, and it sounds remedial, but we should be rating these teams on what they did early because that's what's really going to define their franchise. And one of the teams that I thought did, you know, a great job and then a shitty job was the New York Giants. You know, I love the story of of the NFC East because it was Dallas, Giants, Philly, all in one little spot there at 10, 11, 12. 
you know, and J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan just cut the legs off of Dallas because you know they wanted whichever guy fell to them. Denver doesn't take fields. They don't take anybody. They take Sertan. Dallas is screwed. Philadelphia is at, at 12. They know they need to move up over New York to get Devontae Smith. They know they're going to take Devontae Smith. Uh, New York Giants were taking Devontae. They trade up with Dallas. Gettleman is fucking fractured. He doesn't know what the hell to do. All of a sudden, Chicago calls. They give him the first-round pick. They move back. New York finally does something great. Gettleman, for the first time in his uh, general manager career, trades back, moves back to 20. And this ties into Minnesota, who I thought did a great job. Minnesota could have drafted Kristen Derrissaw. They move back uh, to, to 23, I believe it was. They get behind New York at 20. Kristen Derrissaw was going to be there for the Giants at 20, and they take Kadarius Tony. Never mind the fact that they took Kadarius Tony over the likes of Elijah Moore and uh, Rashad Bateman, which I saw your tweet, and it just, I don't even understand how that's possible. But they took him over Kristen Derrissaw. They already invested in wide receiver with 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 um, with Kenny Galladay. They have good weapons. Um, a target monster in Saquon Barkley is coming back to the lineup. They don't need a target. They need to protect Daniel Jones for an extra half a second so he can throw it down the field to the guy they just paid $80 million to, Kenny Galladay, who's a downfield receiver. And we know that Daniel Jones is a downfield thrower. What the hell was the Kadarius Tony pick? Now, I like their second-round pick, Ojalary, but my gosh, it's just a complete whiff. Are you, I mean, right? Yeah, um, I think uh, teams, when they, they make mistakes with picks, uh, I, I think invariably it's when they get tunnel vision with, with positional need. Um, or, or, you know, this idea of like with this pick or this slot, uh, we need to, uh, you know, get this position. We need to get this position room help. Um, and I think what happened in hindsight was, uh, the giants with that, their first pick, they were like, we're going to get, uh, Devonta Smith. Yep. And then of course they got sniped with that one and, and get was pissed. And what he did in the, the immediate aftermath, you mentioned it was very, very smart. Um, yep. you know, he made that, that first trade down, which you mentioned and, um, you know, he took advantage of, um, you know, sh- Chicago and Ryan Pace's uh, desperation. And it was a really good trade for for both sides. You know, I you know, I mentioned before, I, I thought it was a great trade for Chicago because um, yes. I, I value Justin Fields quite a bit. Um, but it was also a good trade for uh, the Giants. You know, they they pick up the Bears first round pick uh, next year and they they also got, you know, didn't have to move down too terribly far. But um the, the tunnel vision thing was the issue on the other side of it. They, there was a whole bunch of good prospects still available there. Uh, you mentioned uh, Derrissaw. Um, you know, I, Bateman would have been a great pick there. Um, there's all sorts of, you know, players that would have been really Greg, good picks Greg there. Greg Newsom was there. Greg Newsom was there. Um, yeah, you know, all sorts of guys. Um, but yeah, to take Tony there... Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I rank Tony as like a, a third round uh, prospect. I, you know, Tony for me, you know, whatever, but particularly you mentioned the giant situation. Um, I, I just don't, uh, really get it. Um, the only, the only thing I'll say, uh, I'll only say one, I, I barely have anything to say in, in defense of that pick. I I'm, I'm not a fan. Um, not a fan at all, but, um, you know, Daniel Jones, he did, uh, his last season at a at Duke, he uh, he broke his collarbone in in September, and then uh, P 
people people didn't think he could throw a long ball because uh, the rest of the season he just uh, threw a bunch of screen passes basically. Um, but he 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 does have a knack for for throwing screen passes, um, and that's basically all Kadarius Tony catches. So, um, you know, I mean, they'll they'll have that timing down at least. Um, uh, <laughs> a, a resounding a resounding uh, a you know defense from you. Look, I have the propensity to throw screen passes at my age too, so it doesn't make it a good decision for <laughs> yeah, those, those funnel screens will be yeah those yeah. bubble screens. One other thing you'd mentioned was Jacksonville and. And I was super critical of Jacksonville's draft, and here's why. So I'm a game theory guy, and for me, if you just give me Jacksonville's draft, I would have been trading like every single pick. And I'd have been I'd have been the teller. I'd have been the bank teller. Everything would have come through me. So after that first pick of, of Trevor Lawrence, great. Everything after that is I just want to have this same exact type of draft next year and still come away with great players. And evidenced by the trades made – around the picks where they picked, they could have done that. They could have just traded back 10 spots here and there, uh, accumulated more and more draft capital for next year, and still gotten literally every one of the guys, except for maybe ETN would have gone or something, but whatever. They could have absolutely gotten everybody they wanted. And I also, and you can speak to this, but didn't they draft a couple of injured guys and shit like that? It's like, what the hell, man? I, I just thought that they missed on a bunch of their picks and who am I to, to say whether they did or didn't? I'm not, a, like I said, a huge expert, but maybe you are, and you can speak to their misses. But I thought from a game theory standpoint of not you know, making every pick available, especially like I had mentioned, that 2.01, that first pick coming out of day, you know, out of day one into day two, you know there's some teams that are eager to get up there and, oh, I can't believe this guy overnight, the GM is calling, the owner's calling the GM. Hey, isn't so-and-so available? Javante Williams, whoever the fuck it is, doesn't matter. Just trade that pick to whomever wants it, move back a few spots, and you can still get whomever you want. I just thought that was the missed opportunity. Plus, you can probably speak better to the picks they absolutely whiffed on. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, I, I I agree with 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 everything that you're saying. It um, you know I, I think that I the way that I put it was it, it seemed like with with most of their picks they were just grabbing it at shiny objects and and recruiting <laughs> I, rankings and flash plays. Um, you know, with, I think, you know, with, with Urban Meyer, he's coming from uh, college and, you know, at the end there with Ohio state and with Florida, um, you know, he could basically, um, look over the recruiting rankings and, you know, get his, his, his reports from his, his assistant coaches and he could basically get, you know, whoever he wanted, you know, whatever. Um, and I think with these slots, it was just like, oh, you know, well, you know, yeah, that's the guy I want. That's the guy I want. And there wasn't that sort of next level uh, thinking about the chessboard uh, that you're talking about. And th- that was my issue with it as well. You know, it was it was just sort of like, uh, you know, just sort of like um, like a, like a child would think about it. You know, like uh, when yes. you get to the 25th pick, it's like, oh, what would be fun? Oh, what we got Trevor already. Well, what if we reunited him with with, with ETN? That would be right. really cool. You yeah. know, but it's like. But the, the value's not that. What, what if you got Bateman for him? That would be a lot better, right? Like you already got Robinson. Like you don't need another running back. Like anyway, like yes. you know, one of these other positions, or you know, and you mentioned that the cornerback, like taking taking Campbell there, it, it wasn't just a reach. But then no cornerbacks were taken for like the next ten picks or so. It's like you easily could have traded that pick. You you right. easily could have traded down. 
no, again, no cornerback was taken in the next 10 picks. Tyson Campbell wasn't getting taken for the next 10 picks. Right. For sure. Um, Walker Little at, at 240. He's the guy who hasn't played in two years. He's um, not going at 45. He's not. It, you could trade down again. You're absolutely right. He was not going. And if he yeah, was, who yeah. cares? Andre Cisco is the guy that's just flash plays. Um, you know, I mean, a, a lot of these guys were just, you know, the Jacksonville reached for them at their absolute ceiling, you know, like of, of their thing. And it's like, you, you have, you know, with these guys, you have to consider both their ceiling and their, their, their risk profile. And, and that was sort of my issue here. Like the, the Walker little, like I, I ranked Walker little 71. I, I felt like that was pretty fair. It, it baked in both his, his ceiling you know, and also his, his downside, um, you know, uh, Tyson Campbell, I ranked him 82nd. They took him 33rd Cisco. I ranked him 109th. They, they took him 65th. Um, you know, it's just uh, ETN. I, t- I ranked him 54th. They took him 25th. I, I don't know. You know, it, it yeah. was just like one guy after the other. And, and, and you mentioned it's like, you know, I, cause some people will say, they'll be like, well, Thor, okay, you know, but you know, Urban's smarter than you. You know, Trent eh. Balky smarter than you. They they know eh. more about football than you know whatever. And it's like okay, you know, and and they got conviction on these guys. And it's like, well, fair enough. You know, if you got conv- trade down, then exactly. you know, if if they're so smart, it, it's not just that Tyson Campbell's the only dude on the board that 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 can do what they want to do, or that walk. There has to be two, right? So if you trade down ten spots, it's not that both are. You know, what are the odds that both get taken there? You know, like, are they so intractable that they're that literally nothing else could have worked? Could could they, you know, so to to do the thing that you're mentioning, that's absolutely what I I would have done. Um, I I would have I would have traded more. Um, I would have piled up more equity for next draft, which next draft is is where NFL folks are telling you they they value a lot more, um, you know, yeah. Next year, there's going to be a lot more uh, players in it. Number one, uh, more depth. Yeah, there was a third the players that that uh, 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 what do you say declared for this draft than the last draft, like literally one third. Um, and then you know this draft had historically less information on it than uh, any modern draft class ever uh, because of the less tape, you know, and and the no combine and the scouts couldn't go on on the campuses and stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, Jacksonville, I, I have the rankings in this column of who had the most draft equity and everything like that. Jacksonville at number one, um, yep. and it wasn't particularly close uh, for draft equity spent in this class. You look at the 2022 picks in this column. I also uh, show the 2022 uh, draft holdings of every team. Jacksonville has one first, one second, one third, one fourth next year that easily they, they could have you know, at least doubled so the second, third, yes. and fourth, uh, easily, totally. easily too. Easily. easily. It would yeah, have been I mean, so simple. All they would have had to do is, is like you said, trade down 10 spots yes, know, a couple times, like three or four times. Cause they had every spot taken. They had a late first, an early second, uh, two early seconds. The, the right? ETN thing. Oh. If you trade down from 25 to 35, oh. easy, you might be able to get a first. I mean, you really Maybe. can Possibly. certainly a second future second. Easy. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah, I mean, and 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 it was not like nobody was calling because you know Atlanta, excuse me, Denver traded up with Atlanta to get Javante Williams at three. I'm talking third and third third pick in the second round. Um, New England traded up with Cincinnati to get Barmore, and Chicago traded up to get a Tevin Jenkins. This was at pick three, six, and seven. So you know, Chicago, New England, and and Denver all had a guy they wanted to go get. 
you know, and, and actually Miami traded up to get Javon Holland at four. So there was four teams right there that thought, Hey man, we want our guy. And they're, they're looking for that pick. And so all those picks were available and any of those trades were available. And not only that, but they also had, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, 13, they had pick 13, you know, which they could have, they could have moved as well. So it was like pick one and pick 13. Yeah. They could have moved the hell out of there too. If they wanted, they could have traded that, that 2.01 for a future first guaranteed. Someone would have just given them that if they just traded like into the fifth round or something and not even moved back. Cause they still had the, the 13th pick. So, I mean, they could have done, they had so many different options. They, they should have just been open for business. All offers come through us and they, they could have been the sort of the captain of the draft because they had two first two seconds. Like it just, I, I was just so upset watching them just pick at every spot without trading once. I'm like, you guys suck. You know? So anyway, that was a, that was a huge loss to me. And, and you know what they get, you know, the, the, the modern day Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, and it probably all will look great. And ETN will be a splash play Maven and it'll all be like, see, you guys are idiots. They picked the right guy. It's like, that isn't about that. It's just about long-term stability and, and playing the long game. But you know, I, I guess you can't blame these coaches. They don't give a shit about long game. They need to win and win right away. So it's just that's just organizational failure from my perspective. Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, you have the number one draft equity in the NFL. You know, you have a situation. You have two top twenty-five picks. You have four uh, top forty-five picks, and you have the number one pick in a in a draft where everyone says that there's a generational talent. Um, <laughs> there's a reason that Urban Meyer came out of retirement, went to the NFL the first time. I mean, th- this was a sort of a once in a lifetime uh, opportunity to build up uh, a franchise like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, sure. Lawrence was just the given, you know, that's why he came out of retirement. That, that was the one given. We're, we're not talking about the Lawrence pick. We're talking no. about the rest of them. The rest yep. of the picks sucked. Yeah. You know, you, th- that's the stuff that you should have done other stuff with. Um, I, I just don't see that, um, you know, like an avenue or a path to the rest of the picks, uh, giving you value back commensurate to the slots that you got them in. If, if they do, um, great, you know, I'll apologize after the fact, but I, I doubt I'll have to. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's always the hindsight, you know, police, but no, no, this is, this is, uh, you know, uh, come at me if it does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Bring the receipts. I'll, I'll apologize for sure. I, I, I ain't talking about the Lawrence picks. I'm talking about the ones after that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the Lawrence pick might actually make some of the other picks end up looking, looking good. So we'll see for sure. But, um, you know, you, so I, I got to ask, you know, this one's just a fun one. We'll just go quick. I just thought I wanted to ask you, what was your favorite pick of the draft? Did you have a, a pick that you absolutely just like, just hit you right down the middle? You're like, I love this pick. Um, well, I really like the Awusu Kormo pick for sure. Yeah. Um, Trey Smith to the chiefs at the end, uh, in the sixth round, I I thought that was a really good pick. The, the fields one, obviously, um, yeah, it's funny. The fields, you know, you mentioned fields. It's like, so we did our, our mock draft, you know, with what we would do. And at the seventh overall pick, you know, uh, Randall Kennedy took, uh, Justin Fields for the Detroit lions. And I was like, that was my favorite pick of our, of our mock, because it was like, you know, getting fields for a team that's like, like Detroit that just needs a quarterback. It's the same thing with Chicago. I mean, Chicago didn't have the draft capital to get fields yet. Somehow they, they move up and only had to get to 11. I just thought I'm, I'm, I'll agree with you or yeah, 11. Yeah, exactly. To get them. And I thought that was the pick of the draft. 
obviously, you know, hindsight will, you know, if he busts out, we'll be like, well, I guess that was fucking stupid. But uh, all, all signs would be that he's going to be a, a solid to potentially great uh, NFL quarterback for a team that just hasn't had even a good quarterback in about 35 years. So I think it's a huge win for them as well. It was definitely my favorite pick. I, I'm a New England Patriots fan. I'm from the, from Boston and, you know, oh, look, actually, getting, let me toss out two other Patriots yeah, ones. I, I really like the Barmore pick yeah, and I really like the uh, Ramondre Stevenson pick too. Yeah. You're a Ramondre guy. Love Ramondre. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, we were we were team Ramondre and then he ran like a I think he's still running his 40 ran a slow 40. I wasn't too excited about that, but um, I didn't but yeah, jump off the train. Kid. What's that? I didn't jump off the train after the 40. No, yeah, I didn't totally jump off the train, but I'm a little bit concerned. He's just a he's a pure runner. I thought he found a good spot with the Patriots, too. Like fit was going to be important. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, Belichick will certainly use them appropriately and know how to you know, get the most out of him. I think, especially with Cam, he's a good match because of that sort of RPO where, you know, if you've got to uh, contend with, you know, if you get the defense on their heels, he's the kind of guy who'll make you, make you look bad. I mean, he's not going to run away from you, but if you're on your heels, he'll run through you. I would also say he's a very good fit with Mac Jones. Uh, you'll recall that Mac Jones played uh, with with Najee Harris, um, and they were very good fits uh, with one another. Najee Harris, of course, very good receiver. I I would tell you, Ramondre is a very underrated receiver. True, uh, he didn't get to play, you know, a ton. You know, didn't get a ton of usage in that at Oklahoma because, of course, uh, you know, he played the JUCO for two years and then he got suspended at the end of his first year at Oklahoma and then was suspended at the beginning of his, you know, of his last season at Oklahoma, but. But in his touches, he was very good. Um, you know, like his, uh, he didn't drop many balls and was way more explosive, for instance, than Chuba Hubbard in, you know, like in his touches as a receiver. Um, so, you know, I, I think he's pretty smooth at, you know, as a receiver. Um, and then, you know, just as a runner, um, you know, between the tackles, of course, he's, he's really, really good because of the, the power thing. Um, and once he gets to the second and third level, he's he's really devastating because you have the power thing, um, you know, kids, uh, you know, the second and third level players coming up, linebackers and safeties that try to tackle him. You, you got to bring your lunch pail. Um, and when, when you come to the contact point with him, um, he is able to make what would be a flush hit, uh, a non flush hit right. um, consistently because of how good his feet are. Um, you know, just sh- the short area agility thing. Um, he does it all the time. And then his contact balance is really good, too. Um, and so that conjunction of things like a lot of players of his ilk, they always try to run you over. And that's the thing that like Ramondre sometimes does that. But he he's like a um how would you say like he's like a closer that has that can throw 102 miles per hour but he's also got like a Bugs Bunny curveball. Yeah. He he'll drop that hammer on you. Um you know like he'll run you over. Absolutely. He'll run you over. So you have to you have to bring it. Um but then he'll also shake you. You know and so you know like and then the off target hit and you're not you're not taking Ramondre Stevenson down with an off target hit ever. Ever, right. ever, ever. And you're probably not taking him down by yourself, even if you hit him flush. Um, and, and so it, it's that sort of a thing. Like kids that hit him, he's one of those kids that has so much power, just natural power. Right. It's like touching an electrical fence. Kids <laughs> right. just get zapped. Like you'll see, you know, like in the cartoon where like, uh, who is it? The Is it the roadrunner when he hits the 
the uh the concrete you know and never, then he like, never heard of it i'm 20 years old i never heard of the road he, he hits he hits like the brick wall and then he like uh he slides down it that's like some yes. some like cornerback you'll see him hit Ramadre. he just <laughs> slides down Ramadre. um I, I i'm a huge fan of Ramadre. one other point i'll make about Ramadre, um for people that haven't seen him just a contextual thing to to you know that uh will sort of prove the point of how valuable this kid is um so Ramadre. Well, actually, I want to make two point two more points about Ramondre, if I if I may. Of course. Um, num- the number one thing is um, he he wouldn't have dropped this far um, if the NFL had had more exposure on him. Um, they would have gotten more exposure on him were it not for the fact that he if he had not played in JUCO and he had not gotten uh, this this suspension uh, for this marijuana test. Um, as far as his Juco thing goes, he was one of the most prolific Juco backs of the last decade, um, was just an absolute stud at, at, at Juco. As far, as far as the drug test goes, it was one failed marijuana test, one failed marijuana test. Marijuana is going to be legal around the country very soon. It's going to not be tested for in the NFL very soon. So it's probably a joke that he got suspended for, for five games as is his Juco coach, by the way, so, you know, he, he came out and said Ramondre Stevenson never failed one test here and said Ramondre Stevenson's one of my favorite players that I ever coached. He made one mistake. He, you know, at Oklahoma, but he never failed a drug test here. Not one. We tested. He never made, you know, he never failed one test here. And I've been here for 25 years. He's one of my favorite players that I've, you know, I've ever coached or whatever. Um, you know, I, I would I would vouch for that kid. No, you know, no matter what. Um, and, and so like, you know, as far as the character thing, I, I, I don't think that that's, uh, you know, really a, a thing. So the other thing about Ramondre is like people, you know, you look at the two early mock drafts for, for 2022, like after the, the past draft class and you see Spencer Rattler as one, one, like in every single one of them at the beginning of last college football season, Oklahoma starts out one and two and Spencer Rattler was super duper struggling. Like he got benched in one of those games, didn't finish it. Um, and then Spencer Rattler, all of a sudden, like at the end of that season, like he was getting better and better and better. And, and the hype train starts out and everything. He starts dominating, whatever. That was because Ramondre Stevenson came back. Like once Ramondre Stevenson came off of suspension, that's when Spencer Rattler really started to take off. The reason was because defenses couldn't do the thing with Rattler anymore. that defenses started to do with Mike Leach after the first game when when Mississippi State dominated LSU and put up like, you know, 700 yards of pass and whatever. And then defenses were like, oh, you know, if we just do the thing with Leach where you drop eight guys into coverage they're not gonna be able to pass against us like that that's what they're doing against rattler at the beginning you know whatever and then you know all of a sudden uh stevenson comes in and now you can't do that anymore like you had to put guys you know you had to start putting guys in the box or whatever um now all of a sudden rattler had you know space in the intermediate area there was there was deep shot opportunities stuff like that rattler just started cutting people up well now all of a sudden oh my god rattler is He's, you know, he's the the next Baker Mayfield plus he's, he's the next one, one. Whereas before at the beginning of the season, it was like, oh, did, did you know, is he a recruiting bust? Is he even going to be able to finish the season as the starter? Um, the only, the only difference was the presence of Ramondre Stevenson. Um, so I, you know, I, I think Ramondre Stevenson is a heck of a lot better uh, than the NFL at large thought he was. Uh, I ended up ranking him quite a bit higher, I think, than the industry at large did. And I, I, I ended up ranking him right around where the Patriots took him. And so it, it naturally piqued my interest uh, that it was the Patriots in particular uh, that took him. And I think that he is better than LeGarrette Blunt, um, but he's sort of in this the same similar vein. I, I comp him to Eddie Lacy. 
Um, but I, I think that that's sort of what, um, you know, the, the Patriots are sort of seeing in him, like a more evolved version of, of that sort of same uh, player. Um, and so that's going to be very interesting uh, to see Belichick put him in, in, in that system. And then you, you get him next to Mac Jones, uh, you know, the guy played next to Najee Harris. Um, going forward, those two guys playing with each other. Very, very interesting. Right. And so let, let's let's uh, change gears a little bit here. I wanted to one, – one of the things that I wanted to kind of pick your brain on was because you know the depth of uh, of the teams and the depth of the draft is, you know, which which drafts might have, you know, helped the, the players that we care about in Dynasty and, and in Fantasy, you know, the, the skill positions, right? So, you know, I look to like, you know, the Rashawn Slater pick for the Chargers – and it's kind of wheels up for, you know, Herbert. I look at the Darasaw Wyatt Davis picks, and I think it's wheels up for Dalvin Cook, you know, so forth and so on. And it's like kind of the opposite with Saquon and Daniel Jones. It was like, I don't know what Kadarius Tony did for them. You know, imagine if they had Darasaw, it would have been wheels up for, you know, for Saquon and, and Daniel Jones and, and, and Galladay. And so who are some of the other, you know, uh, sort of fantasy players, in other words, teams that improve themselves in a way that you think now help support advancement. I mean, one of the other ones we'll get to, I'll, I'll well, I'll scratch that because I'll, I'll, we'll get to two in a moment. If you want to go there, you can. But um, what are some of the players that you that you think might have been helped by, you know, the offseason moves, including draft and and free agency? So so current current NFL players that, that were helped by the draft? Exactly. Like, you I, know, I would like, say yeah. uh, uh, DJ Shark is a big one because uh, Lawrence, I, I to me, he's he's That's for sure one. the best deep ball passer I've seen the last decade. Um, he it, it may go beyond that. Um, it, it may be the, the best one I've seen. Um, I, I, I don't like to do hyperbole because I ain't want to be like a, a hot take machine. Um, but he's he's a fucking ludicrous deep ball passer um he so you know like uh you, you know like the guys in uh major league that throw over 100 you know like uh uh Araldus chapman for instance you know like uh generally they're guys that are not only long levered it's also they got that um it's like a genetic mutation where they can do the over the top like i can't do it i can't go over the top you know like my uh most people can't you know it's like you got a your shoulder socket or whatever, it doesn't allow you to do that full rotation where it's like a pitching machine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but the, the guys that can get over a hundred, it's not only the reason they can do it. It's cause they got, it's not only they got the long levers, but they can go, it's the full pitching machine thing. Um, that's Trevor Lawrence. He has ludicrously long arms, but he can also, you'll, you'll see it with him. Like he can do the full <laughs> pitching machine thing. So he gets the full, full deal. And when he heaves that thing, um, it's, he fucking launches the ball and you've seen it with T Higgins, especially last year, um, wasn't really fair to him because his receiving core was dog shit. That's the reason that the Clemson, you know, got eliminated in the first round of the, the deal. Um, but earlier in his, it's really too bad that Justin Ross got hurt. Um, know you know, didn't get to play last year cause yeah. um, yeah, his, his receiving core was really dog shit last year, but, uh, uh, earlier in his career was fun with, with Higgins cause Higgins is so good downfield. Um, but, uh, shark is a really, really good fit for his game, uh, is I a really, that. really, really good fit for his game. Um, and so the people that are saying buy shark, I agree with that. Um, I, I, I just think the shark is going to go absolutely nuts this year. Um, and then like you, you think about the play calling tendencies of urban Meyer and, 
like so it's like urban meyer and then bevel like uh and i i have great familiarity with bevel because he was he was here in minnesota for a couple years but like urban meyer's system it's like that single back uh up tempo um and then it's like the the quarterback he likes the dual threat guy so lawrence is going to be running a bit more i think than just you know, people that haven't seen him a ton that just think he's like some pocket passer. He's more athletic than people think. Um, but, he, you know, he's going to be running a little bit more. But, you know, I, you're going to see the deep shots coming off of the the run run, the manufactured touches, and then they'll go deep more. Um, and and Shark is going to be the beneficiary of these deep shots. You know, that's going to be like the manufactured stuff to Chenault. Um, you know, I, I don't know if ETN is going to get in on the manufactured stuff. I, I don't know if they figured that shit out yet, but, uh, um, you know, but it's going to be a lot of then the, the deep stuff is, is going to be going to Mr. Shark. So, um, he would be one of them. Uh, um, let's see. Let, let me had, give you another one that I've yeah. got, uh, because I felt like, you know, the, the Miami dolphins have done a great job of, of building that roster. They've kind of done the right thing in a lot of these situations that Jacksonville didn't do. They also bring in. I mean, I don't know. I don't know too much about that Waddle pick. I mean, I felt a little early for me. But look, if he, maybe that's kind of a question too. What you think about Waddle? But bringing in Waddle and bringing in Fuller and kind of rebuilding the team around Tua, it's kind of like, you know, if Tua is good, he's got the the the, the supporting cast to succeed. What do you see from Tua? What do, what do you think about what Miami was able to do? And, uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. So, um, you know, just as far as like the Waddle against Smith thing, my, my thought heading into the draft was, I, I thought probably it was a 50, 50 distribution between the NFL of, of what teams would prefer Waddle and Smith. And I, I thought, you know, as opposed to it being like preferring the player, I thought it was uh, probably, uh, per, you know, more of a, um, play style. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, you know, with with the, the Dolphins in particular, um, they had a receiving core that not only was shitty, but it was shitty in a way that didn't suit uh, Tua's game whatsoever. They they had a bunch of slow jump ballers, uh, yeah. whereas Tua's game, like you, Tua's special sauce, what he's best at, uh, his best trait is uh, intermediate accuracy and particularly um yeah, uh, his 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 singular best trait is hitting receivers on the hands in stride who have gotten a step on their guy in the intermediate uh, range. He will get those guys more yak yards than the quarterbacks around him. And so, if you can get receivers around him uh, that can beat their guys on you know the 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 routes that go across you know streakers stuff like that going across the middle of the field whatnot, um, those are the receivers that you want around. Uh, Tua. And once he, uh, you start beating the defense with uh, those kinds of routes with athletes like that, it tends to open up everything else. And then from there, now you have spacing uh, to do your your other sorts of stuff. This is why Jalen Waddle was preferable to them over Devonta Smith. Whereas I believe if the Eagles had been sitting at six, I believe they still would have taken Devonta Smith over uh, Jalen Waddle because uh, for the Eagles, if they would have taken Waddle, that would have been superfluous uh, to their first round pick last year, uh, right. Jalen Ragor. Yes. You, you heard all these reports after the draft, you know, the Eagles are moving Ragor to slot full time. That's where he's going to be going forward, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this is the, this is what we're doing, you know, and Devonta is going to be on the outside. Well, if they take in Waddle, you know, now, now we got, you know, now we got issues, you know, yeah. it's, 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 you basically would have just the same been, parts of the field. 
Yeah. Exactly. You would have been erasing the Regor pick, essentially. You would have had yeah. to trade him or he would have had to be a backup. or It would have, it would have gotten really messy. De- Devonta was the perfect pick for Philadelphia. Uh, Waddle was the perfect pick uh, for Miami. And so I, I agree with you. I, I think the, the Waddle pick really, um, I, I think that really helps uh, Tua a ton. I, I think the Devonta pick really helps uh, uh, Jalen Hurts. I, I also think, by the way, uh, speaking of another guy that it helps, I think Jalen Ragor is helped tremendously uh, by the Devonta Smith pick. I, like, I, I think that Jalen Ragor is something of a fantasy sleeper, uh, pulse type sleeper, um, because like Jalen Ragor, I don't know that he was ever meant to be a number one uh, type guy. I, I think like he might have even been miscast by that as, you know, by the draft community. I, I think when Jalen Ragor starts to cook you, it's when it's in one-on-one coverage against a lesser guy. Um, you know, the Eagles thinking that he was going to be like a number one dude that could potentially play on the outside um, against a potential number one NFL corner. I think that's where we started to have issues. Um, but when he's going against a lesser slot receiver and the attention of the defense is elsewhere and Jalen Ragor can cook someone and then be in open space, uh, 18 yards downfield and catch the ball when he's fucking wide open. <laughs> that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And now he's just an open fucking field. Um, yes. that, that's when you, you think back to Jalen Ragor when he was doing shit at TCU where people were like, Oh my God, this, this kid's a star. This kid's a first rounder. That was that, those were the circumstances. So Jalen Ragor is a kid that I would be buying. Um, again, circumstantially, I think he was really helped by that pick. Yeah. I mean, if you look at that and, I, and I'll, I'll pull it up real quick, but that his, his sophomore season and I always tell he fucking people, killed it. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, well, he had 72 catches for just over a thousand yards and nine touchdowns. And you're like, well, that's a really good season. But if you go look at that, that offense, that offense in total averaged. Uh, let's see here. They, they, hold on. I'm looking at it real quick while I'm at it. They only had like, uh, you know, just over 2,000 yards total passing. I mean, he was absolutely, you know, the the best player on that team. The next closest uh, player had like 400 uh, receiving yards and three touchdowns. I mean, he was yep. he was dominant in that offense, and it wasn't a very good passing offense. And, and he also was able to score two rushing touchdowns. He was dynamic. He was just really great in that offense. And and so, yeah, he's a he's a he's a, a dynamic player. But he, you're right. He's not an outside alpha. That was never his prototype. We never thought that. Like nobody was ever like, oh yeah, absolutely, line him up at X and off you go. No, I mean he was always sort of a you know a secondary or, or tertiary receiver. That doesn't mean he can't be super productive. There's plenty of those guys in a league that are super productive from that spot. But he was definitely going to be that guy. Not you know he's not Julio Jones, and no, nobody thought he was. And you know Devontae is another guy. I have a question. You know, I really like him. And here's the thing. I, I felt like. You know, here's the here's the real thing for me. So he's a senior, comes out as a senior. We, uh, you know, in, in the analysis of dynasty and, and fantasy football, we want early declares. Uh, you don't want first round seniors. You just don't. That's that's a traditional, uh, you know, uh, elephant trap. So, but Devonte, I thought should have been, uh, you know, an early declare last year. I thought he should have come out, and 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 so I have to assume that the reason he didn't is he didn't hear that he was going to be a first round pick or at least a high enough pick. I guess maybe you could say he bet on himself and won, but you know, a lot of times the, the, the first round, uh, you know, senior 
receivers that are picked in the first round that are seniors are often guys who didn't really show anything till later on in their career. And that's why they're, they're, they're also late breakouts and, you know, they're usually just not very good. I think Devante, you know, you could sort of argue against that in so far as like, I had him as a top five or 10, you know, receiver in last year's draft class. I was expecting him to come out. I wasn't sure where I was going to have him. I was going to have him somewhere in that, you know, T Higgins range. I was in. So for me, it was kind of, you know, I guess at the end of the day, you know, do you think he's a stud or a dud going forward? He's a stud for sure. Yeah. I'm with um, you. Yeah. I had him, I had him wide receiver too. I didn't have him too far behind chase. I, I think I had him closer to chase and I had waddled to, to Smith. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I think he's, yeah, I think he's fucking amazing. Um, I, there's, there's not many questions I have about him. Certainly not, uh, durability. Um, the only issues that he had were just the freak things like catching the thumb, you know, in the the title game, whatever, you know, he'd already, uh, by that point, uh, you know, toasted, uh, Mr. Wade for 250 yards or so. So I I think his day was over by that point anyhow. Um, but you know, like people always, you know, nitpick the frame and stuff like that, but, uh, you know, he, the, the frame helps him, you know, in, in some ways too. Like, you know, I mean, he's, he's got the six, five, uh, uh, wingspan, you know, on a, yep. on a six, one receiver that consistently, uh, uh, sneaks up on, on corners and stuff like that. And he catches every ball you put in his, his wingspan, you know, whether it's intermediate range, whether it's, it's deep balls, everything like that. Uh, he's just so smooth, you know. I mean, like uh, Marvin Harrison is is sort of the bonanza uh, type upside. I, I think uh, Keenan McCardell is just the incredibly reasonable one. Um, I think some an outcome somewhere in between the two um, is is probably what's what's going to happen. Um, that is a damn good player, a damn 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 good player. Yeah, I sort of see a you know. Calvin Ridley, Justin Jefferson, Jeremy Macklin type player here where, you know, it, I mean, he's, he's, he's just really good. I mean, here's the thing. We've never seen anything like him. That's for sure. We just haven't. And the other thing I've heard from people, look, he didn't test, neither did Waddle. So we don't know how fast they are, but I've heard people say, yeah, he's not fast. I'm like, but why is it every time I see him playing, he's fucking smoking someone like, you know, if he's not fast, what the hell does it say about everybody else? And then lastly, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go here. So I'm not a college football guy. I don't watch too much college football. So I like catch up kind of late. And so of course I watched the national championship and that, you know, so I had started to do a little bit of draft research and I saw Sean Wade as like a, you know, late first or whatever cornerback before the national championship game. And I was like, Oh, that's fucking cool. So kind of reading up on him and this, and that, and the other. And then the game gets played. I'm like, Oh, that'll be cool. I get to see Devonte against this kid, this Sean Wade, this'll be fun. And I was like, is he like, is he, is his hip broken or something? Like why can't <laughs> Sean Wade was in, in no way uh, in any sort of class to cover NFL you know, outside receivers. Let's just put it that way. Let, let, let's move on to the, to the, to the, uh, to the, to the closing monologue, if you will. But one thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a really big Hawkinson fan. You know, TJ's kind of a stud. I, I would always surmise that Hawk is chalk. Like he's the guy that's, if you're building a, a tight end in a lab, it's basically Hawkinson who looks a whole lot like Kittle. Uh, those are the guys you want. I mean, and, you know, they, they're able to stay on the field in all game situations, you know, goal line, short yardage, like so any sort of play action off that, they're available. They can play in the two minute. They can play in the slot. They can they can just do whatever. Right. They're they're great blockers. They've got enough speed. They've got great you know agility. 
just absolute chalk tight ends. And now we have the supernova, Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts comes out and just looks like Darren Waller, but like 20 years old and, 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 and better than that maybe. And, you know, and, and, and here's my question. Is he good enough as a blocker to be able to be everything that Darren Waller is and kind of everything, maybe not quite to Hawk and Kittle, of course, but able to play in every game situation and every down. Um, well, I will say, uh, before uh last season um he uh he was so bad as a blocker he was it was sort of a joke to even call him a tight end but um Pitts improved so much as a blocker uh last season that he became uh a slightly above average starting uh SEC uh uh blocker as you know as a tight end right uh, so you know that was one of his major deficiencies the other one was concentration drops and he didn't drop one ball last year and his uh, degree of difficulty on balls was was just about the highest of anyone uh in the nation um i i think he's better as a receiver than darren waller um yesterday yeah. that's why i couldn't comp him to darren waller um i think he's a better player than he is right now so uh it was really hard for me to find a comp for uh kyle pitts uh, i i ended up having to comp him to Tony Gonzalez, but that, that even wasn't a, an apples to apples, uh, kind of a thing. It was just the closest totem I could get. Um, cause you know, with comps, that's what you're just trying to get a totem for people. Yeah. But, um, uh, uh, Waller, I, I couldn't do that. Cause that would have been the first comp I ever gave out, um, where I knowingly gave a, a comp of someone that I, I thought was the worst, you know, where I thought the, the prospect was better than the player at that right. time. So, uh, I just, I had to go, go Gonzalez. Um, cause I didn't have anyone else to do it to like literally in the history of the NFL. I, I just, I was running, I, I went through the entire list that that's how fucking special, uh, Kyle Pitts is. Um, you know, as far as Hawkinson, uh, you know, I went to the, you know, I don't know if you guys can, if has that been in the background the entire time? I, I went to the university of Iowa. Um, I watch every university of Iowa game live. Um, I, I cover college football in, in the, in the fall. Um, and so I, I assign myself every university of Iowa game. Um, I, and so I, you know, I watch every, every game of Hawkins's career live. I, I love Hawkinson. Um, if, if you go back on my Twitter timeline, you can still see this, you go back to his senior or not his senior year, his, his, his last year on year, campus. Yeah. If, if you go back on my timeline, you'll you'll see um, y- you might have to put on a hazmat suit if you go through my feed at that time, because uh, it's it gets a little grisly. I was uh, I was a little excited during those times with, with Mr. Hawkinson. Uh, um, but, yeah, you know, I, I let's just say there was a lot of Hawkinson love on, on, yeah. on my feet at that time. Um, but uh, I, I love Hawkinson, you know, you know, just as far as as, as it, you know, inline pros, you know, tight end inline prospects, um, you know, five years I've been doing this. He's my favorite one. Uh, but Kyle Pitts, he ain't no inline, uh, tight end prospect. He's, he is some sort of, uh, strange alien hybrid between uh tight end and a wide receiver. Um, he's a different thing. He's more like uh Megatron mixed with, you know, with tight end type traits. It's, it's a weird right. deal. Well, and that's, you know, that's why I, I you know, I, I appreciate what you're saying about the comp to Waller. I comp him to Waller because, you know, when you watch the rate, first of all, Waller is what the second most productive tight end, you know, over the last two years. So it's not like that's a bad, 
you know a, dis, a disrespectful comp for for Pitts, but I understand what you're saying. He's certainly a much better prospect than than Waller ever was in any point. But <clears throat> but the way that Waller plays, you'll often see him lined up outside, not just in the slot. He's not Mike Gesicki. He's outside and he's beating people on the edges, which you don't often see from tight ends. But you, we will see that from Kyle Pitts this year. You know, obviously this Julio situation. Uh, is going to play some, you know, is, is going to have something to say about Pitt's target share, where Pitt's lines up. I mean, we might actually see him line up at wide receiver. If, if Julio gets traded, do you think there's going to be op- opportunities for him to line up outside in two wide receiver sets? I mean, is that just nonsense or is that possible? No, for sure. For sure. That's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I, I just assume that he will be the number one receiver um, if Julio is traded. I just think that that's going to happen. Um, and the the really cool thing that he provides you uh, is that, you know, like, you know, just saying that, that for instance, is you're always in uh, 12 personnel with Kyle Pitts, um, you know, like the, right. I mean, just, just by having him there, because you can have your inline guy and then you can have Kyle Pitts, whether he's in the slot, whether he's outside, um, the defense don't know once you're in the huddle, you know, right. then you run out, whatever. Um, yeah. You're you in 12 or around. you're in 12 or 11 personnel all the time. I mean, if, if you have, you know, two wide receivers, Hayden Hurst and Pitts, he's yeah, we don't know what the, <laughs> yeah, you're in, you're in 11 or 12 that they'll be able to dictate to the defense. The defense will come out being nickel. Okay. We're going to, we can run, you know, they come out and they're big. We can, we can spread them. So yeah, I mean, he, he is an ultimate chess piece in that regard. Yeah. So, so having the, what's different about it is um, with, with the two tight ends on the field all the time with, with Pitt, like you cannot uh, it's you, you can't stack the box. You're not going to be able to stack the box against Atlanta, no matter what with, you know, with even with the two tight ends on the field at all times, no matter what formation that they're in. So Atlanta can go heavy against you, um, but they can also get pits, like Atlanta will be able to go heavy against you and also get pits in space if they like, um, which th- that's where it gets uh, scary um, because you can't, uh, you can't do, you're not gonna be able to simultaneously um, get extra guys in the box. And then also with pits outside um, get extra help over the top. Um, so yeah, it's, they're going to be able to do a lot of, uh, different interesting things schematically. It's also one of the reasons why I like uh, JV and Hawkins because Hawkins, uh, the the he's not good against uh, stack boxes. He's not good against extra uh, bodies. Uh, where he gets really good is um, when he gets a runway, uh, you know, whatever, like against the, the thinned out boxes. Um, when you know when he because against. He, his, his kryptonite is he goes down on first contact or whatever, but he's such an explosive kid. Got a, He's got a great okie doke spin move kind of a thing um, and stuff like that. Just super duper explosive, the acceleration, everything like that, and the home run speed. Um, this is the kind of offense that, that JV and Hawkins needed to get in, and he, he has a – he has a, a clear path uh, to, you know, to, to, to the RB one spot. I, I think he's the most talented back on the roster. So, I mean, like you look at that too, you know, all the way down the line. So, wow. You, you like JV and Hawkins that much. I do. Yeah. I, I think for, for me, JV and Hawk, like, you know, last year I called Robinson uh, this year. I, he's, he's, he's my guy. The, the, this year Hawkins is my, is my James Robinson. Wow. Okay. 
Um, there you go. So I, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. So I, I guess you, you answered it for me. You know, I, I've been, uh, you know, a little bit higher than consensus on Mike Davis based on the fact that they're really behind Javian Hawkins. Cause I do like Hawkins a little bit. Uh, there isn't really much in that running back room whatsoever. And Mike Davis certainly with those thighs has proven he can carry the workload as he did a pretty ad- adamant, I mean, excuse me, admirable job of, of imitating CMC last year. He gave you 80 to 90% of what CMC gave you, which I don't think a lot of people saw coming. So I think Mike Davis will certainly be the the lead back there, but but I think I think you're right. I think Javian can certainly give you first first of all, Javian's a good little runner. He's not just a, a scat back, so to speak, or just a passing down back. Um, but he is small and and that's a that's a concern in the NFL, especially not only what he can handle, but what the coaches think he can handle is my is one of my bigger uh, sort of fears for Javian Hawkins. How do you think he overcomes that? Well, um, you know, in 2019, um, and then in the eight games he played this past season, um, he handled heavy workloads um, when he was playing. Um, he handled them just fine. The other thing is, uh, in in terms of receiving, um, in in 2019, they didn't they didn't throw him the ball. Um, this past season, he averaged three catches a game, but there was a knock on him that that he wasn't much of a of a receiver. Um, but I think that's, that's sort of apocryphal. It, it just goes back to the fact that Satterfield in his first year at, at Louisville didn't utilize Hawkins as a receiver, but Hawkins was actually a part-time receiver and running back going back to high school. Um, and if you look at his running or sorry, if you look at his, uh, uh, catch rate in college, he didn't drop one catchable ball, uh, in college and his, his, his usage rate and everything like that. And his yard per catch, Thing like that was just fine. I, I I think he's a pretty solid receiver, actually. You know, in 2020 when they they started to use him, he was he was doing just fine in the passing game. Um, you know, they started to utilize him more, and then his his season ended a little bit early because he opted out. But um, you know, I I, I think he's going to end up being a pretty good um, NFL receiver. And you know, as far as as the workload, um, you know, despite his his smaller frame, um, he's he's proven that he can handle a bigger workload. That's awesome. I love that. Well, let's go to something that I, you know, I, I didn't have on the show sheet. We're going to hit a couple quick hits before before we get out of here. But one of my favorite players in the NFL draft is I know because I know you, one of your favorite players. And so I had the tenth pick in so many superflex drafts. Um, you know, I don't know why. You know, it just it just had that pick, whether it was traded for or whether it was mine. You know, I certainly had other picks too. Of course, I'm always stockpiling Iron Bank first round picks and future rookie drafts. But so I had a, a number of picks, but oftentimes also holding the number ten, and I kind of had the five. Uh, you know, the five quarterbacks, the the three running backs, Chase and Pitts, and that's ten. And so I was just getting the last one there. And the last one there in many, many instances was our guy, Javante Williams. Tell me why I'm going to be so happy that I have so much exposure to Javante Williams in Dynasty. Yeah, I love Javante Williams. Javante Williams, my my RB1. Um, uh, there's a lot to like about that kid. Uh, he was he was ascending. Um you know, kid that improved, uh, very clearly his, his, you know, every single year that he was at UNC. Um, uh, and, and there's sort of his special sauce, uh, sort of flowers off of this, this one thing that he's been getting better and better and better at. 
Um, Javante Williams becomes almost unbeatable once he gets into uh, the second and third levels because he's so difficult to tackle. Um, he uh, last season just absolutely shattered the PFF record for most broken tackles per attempt. I mean, like not even close. I, I think yeah. he broke the PFF record for most broken tackles last year, even though, you know, UNC played less, less, less games and everything, but you're, yeah, the, he was the, split in time. Exactly. Yeah, the, the, yeah. And the split time thing as well, yep. but the usage thing just absolutely blew it out of the water. Like, like battleship, um, the, the kid, both in terms of, of, of agility and power, it's and, and contact his, his contact, the, those three things in conjunction, it's absolutely ludicrous. Yes. Um, and, and so, you know, it just breaks tackles in, 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 in bunches. And so once you get him to the second and third level, um, he's going to pick up yardage, just in absolute chunks. You can see this in the Miami game is if, if you want to watch one game of Javante Williams, where he just absolutely goes fucking ape shit. Um, check that game out. It's yes. one of the funnest games you'll ever see a call of a college running back, Michael Carter too. Um, but, but, but anyhow, the, the reason he's been getting, you know, the past three years more and more and more into the the second and third levels and his game keeps leveling up is um that in the backfield knowing when to uh when reading his blockers and when to hit the accelerator behind the line um initially in his you know right when he got to unc early early on uh behind the line he didn't always know when to hit that accelerator or when to bounce it outside you know kind of a thing um you know there'd be some confusion or some some tentativeness uh you know there as well um now he has a really good idea of when to cut it inside when he sees that hole. Um, you know, emphatically, he'll he'll do the one cut and he'll go upfield when he sees that crease. Or if the defense tries to shut that down because they know how devastating that power is, you know, inside of that short area agility, he can take the outside. He can take the outside in a way, by the way, Najee Harris cannot. Um, Javante uh, 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 can take the outside with impunity uh, when you give it to him. Najee Harris cannot. Um, and so Javante uh, is a far more explosive back. You can see this on tape. You can see yes. this in his, his yard splits, whatever, whatever you like. Um, and so you have those different things. The better his vision um, and his sort of um, decision-making uh, paradigm got, um, the more those things jump up, 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 because it's it's not that thing in a vacuum. It's once you get him into the second and third level, because that was always awesome, right? Like that, and it's it's going to be awesome. It's it's we just have to get him there. Um, and so, you know, and that has been getting better and better and better and better. Um, and then as far as, um, you know, a, a couple other things, um, he happened to play his entire career with an awesome receiving back, Michael Carter, a kid that I comped to Clyde Edwards, E. Lair, uh, earlier on in his career, of course, cause they had to get Michael Carter onto the field at some point, uh, because Javante happened to be such a special runner, uh, and Carter happened to be such a, a special, uh, pass catcher. They would put Carter on the field, of course, during the passing downs. And so, uh, Javante didn't get quite as many, uh, pass catching downs as you would like. Uh, but this past, uh, you know, this past season, he, he usurped Carter as, as the blocking back and he, he, the past season and a half or so he got more, uh, receiving, uh, looks. 
um, as a pass blocker, he got really good um, here here in the past year. Um, and so you know that he's going to be able to do that. Um, he's gotten really reliable with that. And as a pass catcher, um, he has shown that that he, that that's going to be fine. That's going to be just fine. I think that's a part of his game too. That um, his NFL team, the Broncos, um, that they're going to be able to work with. That's just going to get better and better and better. It's just a part that uh, you know with UNC again. Michael Carter, it's, it's he was just so good at it that they you know whatever. Um, but again, in Javante's looks, you know he was always really good um, and as a, as a a pass blocker, reliable and vicious. So, um, you know, everything is there, uh, for Javante and as a natural runner in this class, I, I think that the talent, um, for me, he was clearly the best. The other thing is he's younger than those other guys. He is a full two years younger than Najee Harris and doesn't have anywhere near the wear on his tires that Najee Harris says. You look at the career touches, it is nowhere near as close. He hasn't taken nowhere near the shots that Najee Harris has. He's also younger than ETN as well. Um, and, and so for me, he was the best prospect of, of the three. I expect him to last the longest of the three, and I expect him to be the most productive of the three. Bingo. It's so much fun to, to watch Javante Williams. It's fun to talk about Javante Williams. Like, you know, I'm sort of an analytics-based uh, analyst where I start with, you know, the analytics. Cause I, again, I don't even watch that much college football. My job, I'm working every Saturday. I, I just, it's not going to happen. But you know, when I dig back in, I start watching film of some of these guys like Javante just jumps off the page. Like you watch him. He's got that. You know, I saw that you had comped him to Nick Chubb. Now yeah. analytically, I have a little bit of a problem with that. O- only one but, metric oh, but, is that, but, did you, is that right? Yes. Yes. That's right. So uh, one thing I wanted to say, so sure. I, I, comp, I, I comped Nick Chubb. I, I hadn't seen that, that Nick Chubb thing out there. I found this very interesting. I watched the, the Denver Broncos. They had um like, um, um, you know, they, they have like the YouTube shows, you know, like after the thing. Um, and so it was like a 30 minute show, you know, like inside their war room, you know, yes. while the, the draft's going on. And so they showed, you know, the Pat Sertan thing and they said, you know, you know, you know, he's our CB1 and our best defender in the draft. And then they showed like Javanta when they were picking him and uh, one of their lead scouts, uh, you know, they were showing him uh, talking to Patton while they were on the clock and he was talking about his game and he goes, I comp him to Nick Chubb. And I was like, yes, yes. Yes. Look, my only, my only uh, metric that will, I will tell you he's not Nick Chubb is that he ran a four six and not a four four five like so he doesn't have the ability to run clear away from nfl defenders for 80 yards which nick chubb can do but i agree when i saw him i i saw uh marshawn lynch nick chubb right just the ability to like you're like it's like he he'll run through contact in a way that just doesn't stop it he actually you know i comp him a little bit to uh to even kareem hunt you know where kareem hunt was a little bit slower and so you know he's somewhere in there he's a hell of a back you watch him and he is just the way he can run through contact and and his balance and and it you know he's just a a, a fun player to watch you know and, and he he uh he he averaged uh 8 yards per touch in his final year in in uh in north carolina and he was tackled by the end zone 12% of those touches. I mean, you know, he, in other words, he's still running on a lot of those plays. So he was he was a 10-yard every time he touched the ball. I mean, he was just unbelievable. Automatic first down every time he touched it. So, yeah, he is a super exciting player and and moving down the board, I have a I have another player I want to ask you about cuz again, my limited, you know, college experience and and his limited sort of tape because of the program he played in, a guy that I've been getting a little bit 
you know, excited about and my good friend Randall Kennedy really likes is Josh Palmer out of Tennessee. Um, you know, in that offense with with Herbert, certainly you couldn't be tethered to a better player. You you start to look at, you know, obviously Mike Williams maybe moving on next year. Um, Keenan Allen, still the alpha, but, you know, getting a little older. I mean, there's going to be some target opportunities there. Um, you know, uh, Jalen Guyton uh, played a lot, didn't get a lot of opportunities, so maybe he slides in, you know, to that that role. Is Josh Palmer someone we should be paying a little bit more attention to in our in our uh, dynasty uh, drafts? Well, I started to pay more attention to him when he when he tested decent. Um, you know, he played he played better this past season uh, with a <laughs> with a with a dumpster fire kind of a team with a yeah. with a what turned out to be a, a lame duck uh, staff. Um, and you know, the, the kid runs good routes. He's built really well. You know, he's, he's a muscular kid, um, who, who runs through, uh, the jam in the press, um, gets into his route. Um, and he's a fairly athletic kid. Um, Herbert plays pretty decent with, with guys like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, you know, we seen Herbert last year sprayed all over the yard and he didn't have the best receiving core. So you had a kid like that. I, it, it seems like Palmer's got a, a pretty clear shot to get on the field early, you right. know, it, at least in some capacity. So, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, if I want to call him a sleeper early on, but you know, certainly for dynasty, I'd, I'd, I'd be looking at him for sure. Um, because yeah, they, you know they just don't have a ton there, and we know that they're going to put the ball in the air a whole shit ton, right? Yeah, I mean someone's going to get those targets, and for and sure, I, you know, I mean it. Just for me, I just there's not much in his profile that that jumps off the page. But he was drafted in the third round, and you know, to a team where you know you have a young elite quarterback, and you know he he could be one of those guys that you know look college like you you know this just as well as anybody. You know, I I think uh, I had. Matt Waldman on and he was talking about um I think it was uh a camp the kid out of isn't that the kid out of Georgia Tech that's right yeah Jalen you know and, and he was like I was like what the hell this kid didn't even catch 20 balls or whatever he goes dude they play the wing t or whatever <laughs> like you know like yeah they run every play like that kid's you know, super like, athletic right you know so it's like he could be dope and we wouldn't know from his college tape or well I mean you could maybe see a few things in the tape but you, you just wouldn't know and so it's kind of like you know you just you know, th- these types of guys can, can emerge because they're actually good players just playing in a, either in anemic or a regressive college offense. Another guy I really like, and you know, everybody's getting excited about Amon Ross St. Brown because of the potential opportunity in Detroit. You know, obviously Brashad Perriman, Tyrell Williams, Khalif Raymond, Quintez Cephas. It's not like there's a big name in front of Amon Ra that he has to climb over, but there's another guy there that I really like. Uh, and I think you do too, based off of, I kind of peeked at your pre-draft rankings is Jonathan Adams, um, big body guy with athleticism can really go up and get it. I like his, his tape. You know, I watched, uh, some of him and, and he looks like a guy that could be prototypical in this league and, and play on the outside. And I don't know if it's this year, who knows? He might not even make the team. I mean, obviously that's, you know, not a guarantee with, with the way things work. But what are your thoughts about Jonathan Adams? And, and if you want to touch on Amon Ra, feel free. Yeah, the Lions have a super uh, dog shit receiving core. And, yeah. uh, you know, it seems like if um, the Dolphins had taken uh, Penny Sewell instead, that, uh, you know, the, the Lions probably would have taken Waddle. Um, right. You know, and then things maybe would have shaken out different. But 
since that didn't happen, uh, Amonra's got, he's got a great opportunity. It seems like he's probably going to start in the slot right away. I don't see what other really, uh, choice that they have you know they, right. they just don't really have many bodies there um and Amonra, he was you know he he played there for a long time the other thing he's got going for him you know usc they went to the the air raid uh, a few years ago because clay helton he had to he had to save his job uh and so they've been they've been throwing the ball quite a bit there the past couple of years so Amonra, he got a lot of targets out of the slot um so he's going to go into the nfl having gotten you know a lot of targets being being pretty seasoned in an offense you know spread offense that that threw the ball quite a bit uh jared goff of course he came from his own air raid uh offense in in college uh in the pac-12 he came he came from cal sonny dyke says um, so those, those guys are, you know, I mean, they, they came from essentially the same school of, of passing offense. Um, I, I think they're going to fit, you know, right. At, they know the same sorts of, of concepts, et cetera. I, I think they're going to work just fine together. Um, you know, it, it's just going to be a lot of the, the short stuff, but uh, Amonra is very uh, reliable. He ain't going to beat you deep. Um, but it's going to be a lot of the the short intermediate stuff. Uh, he's going to beat you with a lot of, you know, it's going to be a lot of paper cut uh, type stuff with Goff, uh, a lot of the rollout stuff and stuff like that. Um, but he, I mean, he's, he's going to get a lot of, I, I think he's going to get a lot of targets. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many touchdowns or whatnot, but I, I see him getting a lot of catches as a rookie. Um, and then as far as Adams, I mean, he could abs- he could absolutely crack the roster for sure. Um, he could even crack the starting lineup. I mean, that is a, dog shit receiving core an absolutely dog shit receiving core um so if, if if there was any receiving core that you know that he could he could crack the starting line above that that's for sure it um you know as an outside guy he tested okay you know i mean like yeah. he, he ain't you know no stud athlete or anything but it's no. it's the it's it's the downfield um you know it, it, it's the jump ball stuff i mean his, his ball skills are ridiculous he he had yeah. one of the the most ridiculous catchers I've seen, um, you know, past couple of years I, against Kansas state this past season. I, I don't even know if it counted, but he, he, he has some like, like catchers that will make your, your eyes bug out of your head. Um, it, that's what his special sauce is, um, you know, catching these ridiculous balls. Um, you know, we'll see if, if, if he can hang, but you know, with his hands right. and he's, he's really well built um, and he's athletic enough to hang, um, and you know, the other guy they got, I thought he was draftable too. Sage Sherratt. He's another yeah. guy, uh, where it's a sort of similar vein. Um, yep. you know, it's, he's, he's just sort of an okay athlete. Um, but he's a guy who's, you know, pretty, pretty well built as well. And he can get downfield and it's pretty good ball scales. So, I mean, those two guys both have a shot to crack that, that shitty receiving core. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, whoever, whoever starts, I mean, they're, you know, in, in some fantasy league, they are relevant. So, yeah. I mean, th- that is absolutely a wide receiving core to keep an eye on in, in fantasy. Yeah, it's probably one of the two will make the roster, right? Adams or Surratt. I, it's probably, hey, let's bring these two guys in and see which one sticks. It, you know, again, the NFL is funny. Undrafted free agents certainly don't get, uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt, even if they have a shittier player that they just signed a contract to, like, you know, Brashad Perryman and Tyrell Williams. I mean, I, I don't hate Tyrell Williams or Brashad Perriman, but I, you know I think they'll get the sort of veteran deference from the front office, and you know it's going to be hard for either of these two undrafted free agents, even if they're as good, they have to be way better in order to beat them out. Because if they're just as good, they'll go with the veterans that they've signed to to actual contracts, as opposed to the you know the the un, the, the UDFA's that they can just sort of move along and. Two other players I wanted to ask you about before we get going, and actually we're hitting our stride right now, baby. We're having some fun. Uh, but um, is 
two guys that I thought went a lot later in the draft, and we're staying in Detroit for one of them, two guys that I thought went a lot later in the draft than I anticipated is Jamar Jefferson and Kylan Hill. Both now find themselves sort of buried in a depth chart, you know, behind, you know, kind of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and, um, you know, uh, DeAndre Swift and um, who the hell am I, t- am I forgetting? Uh, Jamal Williams in Detroit. So they're both sort of, you know, third on the on the pecking order. Doesn't can't project very many touches for these guys. But, you know, if I'm if I'm stashing a running back, you know, that I can draft, you know, in the fourth or fifth round of a rookie draft or, you know, whatever, I mean, these two guys seem like guys that have all-purpose skill sets, good NFL bodies, you know, both, you know, 215 plus, um, you know, good um, college production, uh, receiving ability, et cetera, et cetera. I was a little bit shocked to see them go this late. I think maybe you were too. I mean, I thought fourth or fifth round was about when I'd expect them to come off the board, maybe fifth round, but both of them late seventh. Very surprising. What are your thoughts about these two players? Yeah, I'm I'm higher on Kylan Hill than I am on on Jamar. I think uh, Kylan Hill, he's got um, he's an explosive kid um, who's who's well built, who is a really good pass catcher. Uh, I I thought that uh, Kylan Hill, I I thought he he'd made a good decision to come back, and I thought he was going to go off in in Mike Leach's offense because of that that receiving skill, and it just didn't turn out. Um, a lot of things didn't turn out. It didn't turn out for KJ Costello. It didn't really turn out for Mike Leach either that that first right. year. Uh, a lot a lot of veterans it didn't turn out for. Um, and then you know Kylan Hill ended up leaving the team early, and um, there was some some rumors about why he left early, and and that didn't help out his draft stock either. Um, and you know he, end, he ends up falling. But the utility of that explosion with the the pass catching skill, I, right. I think that that's a real value in the NFL. And so it wouldn't surprise me at all if he hangs around. Uh, Jamar Jefferson reminded me of a poor man's Ronald Jones, hmm. um, and that's what sort of uh, what or what um, uh, concerns me for him in the NFL. Um, like the, the, the good thing for him is like, if, if it was swapped where it was like Kylan Hill was on Detroit, I, I think like I would be, he would be up there with, um, he would be closer to Javian for me, you know, as far as a sleeper, but I, I'm not, I'm not quite as high on Jamar. Um, even though this is an easier depth chart to, uh, navigate, um, it, it I, I don't know, it, it, you know, it's, it's, he's, you know, around the threshold, you know, or a little bit smaller. Um, you know, he's not terribly athletic. Um, right. And yeah, yeah. M- my thing with, with Jamar was, um, you know, you don't have any standout traits and what you saw with him at Oregon, Oregon state was, um, you would see, uh, uh, you know, in, in games, you would see like one or two explosive plays and then you would see a shit ton of stopped at the line of scrimmage, um, and I just, you know, it, it didn't seem like a game for me that, um, you know, of a player that I, I could see that translating, um, one-to-one to the NFL, particularly when you see the, the poor athletic testing, um, it, it just wasn't for me that that's why I was sort of out on him again. It, it reminded me of, of Ronald Jones, only Ronald Jones is more athletic and was a for bit sure. more skilled. Yeah. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, that's where the, I was at other, with him. The other guy I like, the other guy I like a lot um, that I'm not so sure you agree here. So this might be fun, but 
Diami Brown in Washington kind of steps into a potential starting role where it's, you know, in three wide receiver sets, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and potentially Diami Brown. And I feel like in that role, he would be the field stretching player. Um, you know, so I, I kind of like that spot for him where, you know, McLaurin's clearly the alpha. You got, uh, you know, my Bay Logan Thomas at tight end, Curtis Samuel can play all over the place and certainly in the slot and, and, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage. And then Diami just taking the top off and with D uh, God Fitzpatrick at, at quarterback could find himself with, with a couple of uh, big games this year. Do you see it that way? Or, or, or maybe are we a year too early with Diami? Well, um, I, okay. So I, I agree with you on, um, that. I think it was a great landing spot for him for sure. It, that was about, um, one of the best ones he could have gone in, particularly, uh, when he fell to the third round, uh, you know, uh, if his agent could have picked, you know, the team that took him, um, that right. may have been the team that he would have selected. Um, so I, I, I agree with that. Um, and I agree with you on the, the utility uh, of him on that team. Um, Diami, he and uh, Zach Wilson, and I mean, th- those are the two off the top of my, those were two of the guys that like all draft process I had to fight with people about, um, you know, that I guess I was like the lowest on, um, it, where, you know, coming into the draft process, uh, other people, I guess, you know, that um, other folks or the industry was like just higher on than, than, than me or whatever. And uh, with, you know, with Wilson, he, and, you know, he ended up going, you know, where he ends up going. Diami, it was interesting. He, Diami ended up falling to just about where I had him ranked. So it, it turned out that the NFL saw him just about exactly where I did. Um, I, I remember where, when I put out my first wide receiver rankings, um, I had Diami like 18th or 19th, something like that. And people were like writing to me and telling me like, you know, you're a fucking joke and you're a fucking clown. Like you're just trying to get clicks and like all, all this sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, it's just my take, you know? And, um, and, uh, you know, my whole thing with Diami was, um, it was a, uh, it was essentially a one trick pony. I, I guess you could say two, you know, you, you have the, the deep stuff and then, you know, they, they'd throw him something in the intermediate range every now and again, but it, it was mostly the deep stuff. And it's, it's not just that it was, it was pre-delineated, uh, deep stuff, depending on the shading of a safety because it's, it's the Phil Longo, uh, system. So the way that, that UNC, uh, uh, the, their offense works, and this is going to go into the, the Sam Howell evaluation. So everybody listen yeah. up. Um, that you're going to hear a lot about how, um, when you talk about Sam Hall next year, that he has all the, uh, the tools to be a, you know, a top five pick, but the big question with him is he doesn't read defenses. I'll tell you why right now, because in Phil Longo's offense, when you get to the line, they, they spread you out, uh, they spread the defense out. So the defense has to give you their intention immediately. Um, the, the, the safety is going to shade, uh, one way or the other. And so at that point, uh, they're going to cut down the play option, uh, to one or the other. And then depending on the, the, you know, the first couple steps of where that safety goes, that cuts the play option down from the RPO to either, you know, we're handing it off or we're going to chuck it deep, you know, to, you know, whatever side had been delineated. Um, so like, that's why Diami got, um, 
all these one-on-one balls. It, they were all these pre-delineated things and they were all these made to order, you know, one-on-one balls that were, he was always in these advantageous uh, situations. Um, you know, if, you know, depending on pre-snap and then the post-snap movement of, of this one particular safety, um, Diami, he dropped too many balls being in these perfect situations with these made to order deep balls coming from the first overall pick. It was really interesting. Uh, PFF only charted him, um, I believe with three drop balls total uh, last year, and they charted him with zero drop balls in contested situations last year, which was just utter horseshit. Um, <laughs> I like, I, I'm not the guy to uh, normally criticize PFF charting, but um, I, 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 I posted a video of, 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 uh, Diami just of like, um, seven or eight of his drops last year, including like four of them in contested situations just to, and then I added PFF, like, please give the name of the charter of Diami. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like, like at some point, like guys, like, come on. Like, I mean, like with, with, with this guy's, uh, um, his draft evaluation, you have people out there, um, and, and you're putting out tweets that say Diami Brown did not drop a ball in contested situations. And then you're, you, you know, it's, it's this thing of this guy only does the deep routes. So you're insinuating that this guy is this fucking crazy deep ball maven that doesn't drop the ball. In, it, it is so flat wrong. It was just so flat wrong. So, so anyway, th- that was my whole supposition about Diami Brown. It was a guy that did not dr- run other routes who in the one specific route he ran was getting made to order jump balls from a guy who, you know, throws his top five potential, you know, talent guy. And then it was always in one-on-one situations with no help from the safety because they don't throw one-on-one balls when they have help from the safety. Um, and then he still dropped a shit ton of them. He also got a whole bunch of offensive pass interferences and stuff like that. Well, that was only in those situations. Then we don't see him in the other ones because he rarely, you know, they don't run the other, he doesn't run the other routes. So uh, that was my issue with Diami. Uh, that being said, I mean, like he was a four-star recruit. He is athletic and stuff like that. And he does have some flash plays in those instances. Yeah. One thing last year uh, that he did add is because like Daz Newsom uh, was he's not Daz Newsom is not more talented. and He was not more talented earlier in the career, but he was more consistent earlier in his career. Um, one thing that Diami did to get better, um, he became more polished, you know, particularly like down the field. And like, uh, you would notice like, um, the over the shoulder, like bucket catches and shit like that, that you did not see earlier in the career. So like, I will, that that's one thing I will say for Diami, like some of his ball skills are coming along. Um, I will say that. Um, but you know, like I, I do still have my concerns. However, um, uh, you know, the, the narrative that I was arguing against all, uh, process, it was because, um, you know, a lot of people had him ranked in the top five receivers. And then it seemed like everyone had him in the top 10, every single person. Um, and that's what I, I just vehemently disagreed with, but where the Redskins took him again, that was right in the range, you know, the slot that was right in the range where I had him ranked. I don't have a problem with that because, uh, his athletic profile uh, in conjunction with, uh, you know, the, the production he put up uh, in, in college and some of the, the flashes that he has shown uh, downfield. 
Um, I've already baked in the risk profile um, with the things that I've uh, mentioned. I baked that in with where I ranked him. And it seems even the uh, uh, Washington did as well uh, with where they ended up taking him. So I'm fine with that. And again, that was a prospect that they needed. Um, and that fits in well there. So we'll see. Um, it, he It's funny because he has just about the opposite profile of McLaren, who came in like super duper under the radar and was more of like the, um, you know, the like, you know, t- uh, t- technician kind of a guy and like clean up the stadium afterwards. Whereas like Diami was more of like the flash player and stuff like that. But, uh, it, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see if those two guys can work together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's going to be pretty exciting, and and you've you've taken uh, quite enough time, man. I, I, I everybody knows that I can talk all day, and, and certainly listen to people talk all day about football, and and I think that's who listens to this damn podcast or other degenerates like you and me, man. And and this this podcast is for the people, and and we're having a lot of fun, and 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 uh, I know there's people listening. Uh, because I don't have that many friends who, 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 uh, who have told to download it to get my numbers up. No, I'm only teasing, but, um, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun and, and I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing so much time with me and, and our listeners. And, and I know that everybody at the undroppables and people who are fans of the undroppables love Thor Nystrom, uh, because you bring the heat baby and, uh, you know, go follow Thor at Thor, um, uh, at Thor KU, excuse me, um, you know, and, uh, and and check out his work on uh, NBCSportsEdge.com. He's got a pretty cool article. I just uh, I just uh, he, you told me about, and I, I love it. It's uh, college football opening line best bets, which you know ever, who doesn't like making money. And right now, I would imagine you know there's some there's some money to be made, especially early betting lines. So that's a good article to go check out. So you can, so you can go make some money. So uh, if you like betting on, uh, on, well, anything, I like betting on everything. So uh, go read that article and play some bets and, and, and watch week one be profitable for you. Um, other than that, you got anything to tell the people? I don't think so. I think we, I think we covered everything, but yeah, uh, check me out on Twitter at Thorku and uh, yeah, check, check out that. Uh, that was the most recent column I did was those uh, college football opening lines, but yeah, they, they j- literally just dropped, I think uh, last week. So that's why uh, I did the column, but yeah, it was my, my favorite uh, uh, six or seven uh, lines of, of, of those, but there's tremendous value uh, the the books, they don't really know shit about uh, the, the the team qualities going into next year. They're they're basing a lot of it off of the team qualities from from last year. So I, I think there's exactly. some pretty big discrepancies, and and you can get some really good values uh, if you bet early. So yeah, check it out. Yeah, absolutely. This is the time for value. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, so I'm just going to go read Thor's article and go go make the money based just blind on his bet advice. If you want, yeah, some exactly. Money. I got you, baby. I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna let Thor hold my hand and and lead me to the lead me to the golden uh, the golden room. So, um, hey, thank you, man. You're awesome. It was awesome. Good talking to be with to you. you, Jax. Yeah, absolutely, brother. We'll do this again. We'll do it again uh, next year uh, for sure, but maybe maybe before then too, man. I, I we'll be talking about number one pick Malik Willis at that time. Yeah, dude, I can't wait. Oh, you're going to make me so much smarter next year and our listeners so much smarter. It's going to be fantastic. So, hey, man, on behalf of everybody at the Undroppables, on behalf of everybody at the Undrafted, uh, on behalf of my awesome friend and producer, Michael Duncan, and uh, on behalf of Thor Nystrom and, and the Jax Falcone, we out. <laughs>